You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Zags, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host as always, Stephen Carr. Before we get started today, just a reminder that the Locked On Network has you covered with the NBA Draft Show coming up a week from tomorrow on Thursday. NBA Draft GOAT Chad Ford, Locked On NBA Draft hosts Rafael Barlow and John Corrales will be live this year covering the NBA Draft. It is the Locked On NBA Draft 2021 brought to you by Built Bar. Get local expert analysis on each pick. Follow the Locked On NBA Draft on YouTube today and watch our live coverage July 29th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Today is Wednesday, July 21st. I'm coming to you live from Florida. And so today on the show, we are going to do a Florida-based Gonzaga episode, and I'm going to talk about Gonzaga's history with the state of Florida. Games against teams from Florida, so Florida and Florida State, and also their uh, tournaments that they played in uh, Florida over the last 25 years. So kind of an interesting look back on some classic games in Gonzaga history. And then we'll finish the show talking about part four and our final part of our What If series. And that is, what if Shema Karnowski does not hurt his back in the 2015-16 season? What is the domino effect from that? Before we get to that, a couple of news and notes that came out over the last two days. Number one is that Corey Kispert is going to be working out for the Indiana Pacers later today. The Indiana Pacers select 13th overall in the draft. And of course, they do have... DeMontis Sabonis on that team, so it'd be interesting to watch Sabonis and Kispert. They also have a new coach in Rick Carlisle, who loves shooters. So if Corey Kispert lasts till 13, I would imagine Rick Carlisle would be all over that, and I would not be shocked if they were to take him if he drops to 13. The problem is that I don't know if he gets to 13. Kispert has been uh, working out really well. He tested great at the Combine, uh, and I think his stock has shot back up into that 8 to 12 range like it was earlier in the college basketball season. I would be very, very surprised if he made it out of the top 14 altogether. If he gets to Golden State or whoever ends up drafting at 14, I think that seems to be uh, the worst case scenario for him at this point. So it seems like Corey Kispert is definitely going to be a lottery pick come next Thursday. Speaking of Corey Kispert, he is one of 20 players that has been officially invited to be in the green room on NBA draft night. Jalen Suggs, also one of those 20 players. Typically, uh, uh, those 20 players that they choose are essentially guaranteed first-round picks with maybe one or two exceptions that happen to fall out of the first round for whatever reason. But a cool honor for those two players in Corey Kisper and Jalen Suggs. On the Jalen Suggs front, it sounds like the Houston Rockets are debating whether to take Jalen Green or Jalen Suggs with the number two pick. Uh, whichever one they end up choosing, Cleveland's most likely going to take Evan Mobley at number three, and then either Jalen Green or Jalen Suggs will fall to Toronto at four, and I would imagine Toronto would take uh, whichever one is remaining. So Jalen Suggs is, in all likelihood, uh, either going to get taken number two to Houston or number four to Toronto, and I would be very, very surprised if he went anywhere else. Some Gonzaga alumni news, and that's Stephen Gray is signing with a team in Israel. This is going to be Stephen Gray's 10th season playing overseas. And in his first nine seasons, he's averaged 12.6 points, two and a half rebounds, and two assists. He spent basically half the time in France and half the time in Greece, but he'll be playing his next season, his 10th international season, and he'll be playing it in Israel next year. And then the final piece of news here is that BYU added another transfer in Seneca Knight. He was 
the star on San Jose State two years ago in the 1920 season. Played a couple games for them this past year, but then he wanted to be closer to home during the pandemic. Transferred to LSU because he's from Louisiana, but didn't play because he wasn't eligible yet to play for LSU. And now he's transferring again, and he's transferring over to BYU. Uh, if you've never watched Seneca Knight play, he's a six-seven slasher. Uh, and I mean, he just he gets to the rim. He's not a good three-point shooter. He wasn't very efficient uh, at San Jose State getting to the rim and scoring, but he was also really the only good player on a really bad team, a la Brandon Clark, a few years back. Um, But he averaged 17 points for that San Jose State team, along with 5.5 rebounds and and 2.5 assists. It's going to be interesting to see how BYU uses him. Uh, He's definitely got talent. He's got that slashing ability. Like I say, he's really, really strong, good athleticism. And I think BYU's... um, you know, kind of mantra coming into this season is going to be a ton of athleticism and a ton of strength. I don't know necessarily if they're going to be great shooters. They've got Alex Barcelo, kind of Tejon Lucas, and then Trevin Nell came off the bench and, and shot really well last year, but I don't know if they're going to be a great shooting team, but they are going to be incredibly physical, incredibly athletic, uh, and they're going to be deep. I mean, they're going to go 9, 10, maybe even 11 deep, um, and I really, really like their their roster in that respect. It's just a matter of how much they're going to be able to shoot the ball. It's going to either elevate their ceiling or cap their ceiling uh, in terms of the NCAA tournament. Okay, that's going to do it for the news and notes. Coming up, we are talking Gonzaga's history in the state of Florida and against teams from the state of Florida. Since I'm here visiting my parents, I decided, hey, why not uh, talk about Gonzaga and their history with Florida? Because they've got a long and extensive history. And really, their entire run started with their win over Florida in 1999. So I'll talk about that here in just a second. Before we get there, today's episode is being sponsored by Bet Bet BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing, and football season is right around the corner. So it is the perfect time to get in on the fun. You can track all the action at Bet Online. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NHL, all of your football needs, and of course, your UFC and MMA action. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Use promo code Locked On. Okay, let's get to Gonzaga's history with the state of Florida. And I'm talking about games against Florida, games against Florida State. They've had some classics against both. And then games in the state of Florida, where they have not lost a single tournament game in the state of Florida under Mark Few. So let's get through all of those. And we'll start with the one that started this whole thing. And that was in 1999, Gonzaga against Florida in the Sweet 16. And of course, we all know as the Casey Calvary tippet game. I don't think I have to explain this game that much. It's one of the best games in Gonzaga history. And it started uh, really this whole entire run. The slippers still fits, Cinderella, the entire thing. But they did play 18 months later at Florida. And I don't know if people actually remember this or know this, but they played a game at Florida in uh, December of 2000. And in that game, Casey Calvary and Blake Stepp each had 18 points, but Gonzaga lost the game to Florida by the score of 85-71. to The star for Florida that night, Udonis Haslam. 27 points and 10 rebounds for the big boy. Udonis Haslam, there is a blast from the past. Also, Matt Bonner came off the bench, former uh, NBA player, played for the Spurs for many years. Matt Bonner came off the bench in that game, hit a couple threes, had nine points. 
And then those two teams would not face each other again until 2016. And it was the Advocare Invitational in Orlando. And it was the semifinals of that event. If you remember, Florida was up for the majority of that game, and then Gonzaga ended up coming back and winning behind a lot of um, Silas Melson and Josh Perkins. Those were the two guys that hit a lot of big shots for Gonzaga in the second half of the game. Gonzaga won the game 77-72, and they ended up going on to win the uh, uh, Advocare Invitational that year in the championship game over Iowa State in a game I will talk about in just a few minutes. So now they're 2-1 against Florida. And then the very next year, they played again in the Phil Knight Invitational in one of the best regular season games in Gonzaga history. And that was their two-overtime thriller against Florida, 111-105. That was a game that just went back and forth the entire night. Jonathan Williams had one of the best single games in Gonzaga history. He put up 39 points and had 12 rebounds, but they could not stop Jalen Hudson. He had eight threes in that game, eight for 12 from deep. He had 35 points. Chris Chioza added 26. Kevon Allen had 23. Uh, Gonzaga had a chance to win the game on an and one with like a second to go. And Silas Melson missed the free throw that would have won the game, but still an instant classic between two teams that had a classic 20 years prior in 1999. And of course, that classic in 2017. So Gonzaga and Florida, 2-2 two and two all-time against each other, not just in the Mark Few era, but in Gonzaga history. They did not play prior to that 1999 tournament, and now 2-2 two to two against each other, and hopefully they can have a deciding fifth game sometime here in the future. Let's move on to Florida State. Gonzaga and Florida State did not face each other a single time until the 2010 NCAA tournament, and that is when Gonzaga beat Florida State. They came out and really put it to them in the first half of that game, and it was a really balanced effort. Uh, Gonzaga ended up holding on. Florida State made a nice little comeback at the end, but they won the game 67-60 to in Buffalo in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Matt Bolden had 17. Stephen Gray had 15. Robert Sacre had 13. Elias Harris had 13. Dimitri Goodson had 9. All 67 of their points came from their starting five. Not a single bench point in that game. In fact, not only did the bench not score in that game, the bench did not even attempt a single shot in that game, nor did it attempt a free throw. All 30 field goal, or sorry, all 30 free throw attempts and all 42 field goal attempts came from that starting five. Bolden, Gray, Goodson, Sacre, and Harris. The four bench players that night, Kelly Olinick, Bull Kong, Will Foster, G.J. Villarino, they combined for 25 minutes and zero field goal attempts in that game. How's that for your statistic of the day? Those two teams would not face until eight years later, and that is the dreaded 2018 NCAA tournament, the Killian Tilly game, where Killian Tilly hurts his hip two days before their NCAA tournament Sweet 16 game. And of course, Florida State takes advantage of that. Um, Gonzaga was just... They didn't have enough fire in that game, it felt like. They you know, they, they went down early. They came back. They actually took the lead, I believe, at one point. Uh, but they had a horrible, horrible stretch for about three or four minutes right before uh, halftime in that game. Florida State was able to take a nine-point lead going into the half, and then they never really recovered. Jakob Larson played four minutes that game, if you want a little blast from the past. Uh, Zach Norvell at 14, Rui Hachimura at 16, but Jonathan Williams struggled, Josh Perkins struggled. Uh, they really just couldn't get much going offensively against Florida State's size. Terrence Mann was fantastic in that game, led Florida State with 18 points. But then they got him back the next year uh, when they were fully healthy. They had uh, Killian Tilly back, who played 20 minutes in that game, but it was really Brandon Clark, Rui Hachimura, Zach Norvell. Uh, Norvell hit the big shot at the end. 
And if you remember, Josh Perkins had the massive play going into halftime of that game with the steal and finish. Uh, he finished with 14 points in that game. Brandon Clark with 15, Rui with 17, Zach Norvell with 14. So Gonzaga up two games to one all time against Florida State. I don't know when they're going to face each other again, uh, but they've faced each other three times in the history of their two schools, and all three of them have happened in the NCAA tournament. Okay, let's talk about Gonzaga's tournament history in the state of Florida, where they are now, after this past season, 11-0 and in tournament games or event games in Florida in Mark Few's history. And it started with the Old Spice Classic in the 2008-2009 season, where they went 3-0. They beat Oklahoma State, they beat Maryland, and then as a number 9 team in the country, they beat the number 12 team in the country in Tennessee. And that was the start of many, many good games uh, with Tennessee over the last 15 years or so. And they beat Tennessee in that championship game 73-64 to to win the Old Spice Classic at the Disney Wide World of Sports. In that game, Gonzaga held a lead for the majority of it. Tennessee cut it to six late, but Jeremy Pargo had some big free throws down the stretch. Pargo finished with 10 points and seven assists. Matt Bolden with 17, Heidfeld with 15, and Stephen Gray with 19 points coming off the bench for Gonzaga. And then you move ahead four years in the 2012-13 season, and they won the Old Spice Classic again. And this was probably one of the worst tournament fields that Gonzaga's played in over the last probably decade plus. They beat an unranked Clemson, unranked Oklahoma, and an unranked Davidson team on the way to that championship. And they beat Davidson in the championship by 14 points. This was, I believe, three years after Steph Curry had beaten them in the NCAA tournament. So it wasn't exactly revenge, but it was still nice to beat Davidson up a little bit in that championship game. And then again, four years later, they won uh, the Old Spice Classic, which was renamed the Advocare Invitational, but it was still played uh, at that wide world of sports complex. And uh, they beat Knipiak in the first round. They beat Florida in the game I talked about earlier in that semifinals. And they won another really, really good uh, game against uh, 21st-ranked Iowa State in a game where those two teams could not miss from deep in that championship. If you guys remember, that game was on at like 10 in the morning. And we thought, hey, maybe these two teams would come out slow. They did not come out slow. The score was 16-13 three and a half minutes into the game. And those two teams continued uh, their offensive onslaught until the final you know, five minutes or so, they kind of slowed down. But Gonzaga was 13 for 25 from deep in that game. Nigel Williams-Goss had six threes. Josh Perkins hit a, a trio of threes. And then for Iowa State, it was Deontay Burton. If you guys remember him, 29 points and 12 rebounds in that game. Monty Morris also had 14 points and nine assists for Iowa State. Gonzaga won the game 73-71. They're actually up 15 points at halftime. They extended the lead to 18 in the second half before Iowa State came storming back uh, behind a bunch of Deontay Burton shots, a couple made threes. And then in the final three minutes, not a single basket was scored. If you remember, uh, both teams had a bunch of chances, a bunch of missed layups, a bunch of shots. Iowa State had one last chance to take the lead, couldn't do it. Um, Zach Collins hit a free throw. And then Gonzaga ended up holding on 73-71 in that game. So at this point, they're 9-0 in the state of Florida in tournament games. And then, of course, this past season, they played against Kansas in the opening game of the season in the Fort Myers tip-off, and they played that game at Fort Myers. We all know how that went. Jalen Suggs' first collegiate basket was an alley-oop, followed by a technical foul because referees don't enjoy fun. And then the next morning, they went out and they absolutely blasted Auburn, which set up a historic regular season and, of course, one win shy of a national championship. So Gonzaga all-time, 11-0 and 0 
under Mark Few in non-conference tournament games in the state of Florida. Three-time uh, Old Spice slash Advocare Invitational Classic, whatever the heck you want to call it. Three-time champion of that, and then they're 2-0 and in Fort Myers this past season for an 11-0 and record in the state of Florida. How about that? All right, there's a trip down memory lane for you. Another one coming up here to finish the show, and that is a what if, our final one of our what if series. And that is what if Shemek Karnowski does not hurt his back in that 2015-16 NCAA season. Before we finish the show, today's episode is being sponsored by Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market. It is the amazing low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, amazing-tasting protein bar with 100% chocolate in all bars. The new flavor that they just emailed out today, Lemon Almond Cheesecake. How about that? Lemon Almond Cheesecake. Sounds delicious. Of course, they still have salted caramel. They still got cookies and cream. They've got a whole bunch of good stuff. If you're not sure what you want, you can get a mixed box with multiple flavors, all of them. Soft, easy to chew, and absolutely delicious. Not only do they taste great, but they're healthy, too. They're great for the health-conscious guy or for anyone looking to lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Most Built Bars have 17 grams of protein and just 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs. So go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCK15. You'll get 15% off your next order. It's LOCK15. You'll get 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. Okay, our final what if of this what if series, and it is Shevik Karnowski. And we're talking about what happens if he does not hurt his back and have his season ended in the 2015-16 college basketball year. If you remember, Shevik Karnowski started those first five games of that 15-16 season. So the non-conference in late 2015. And Gonzaga went 4-1 in that. They lost to Texas A&M in the semifinals of the tournament that they played in, but they beat Washington and they beat UConn. And he was starting, and DeMontis Simonos was still coming off the bench. It was basically the same starting uh, rotation that they had in the 2015 year. So the question now is, what if Karnowski doesn't hurt his back? And we'll start with that 15-16 year. I don't think they would have as tough a time as making the NCAA tournament, having another body, because they were basically going six deep all season long, and they didn't really have another reliable big. They were playing incredibly small. At some points, you know, Kyle Dranginis was essentially playing the four with either Wiltshire or Sabonis playing the five. With Sheva Karnowski, you know, you get one more body in there, a much more reliable three-man forward rotation. But you could have also got what we kind of wanted to see for most of that year, and that was kind of what Mark Few and his coaching staff could have done with a Kyle Wilcher, DeMontis Sabonis, and Shemek Karnowski lineup with all three of those guys on the court at the same time, how much they would have played, what they would have done offensively with those guys. Um, because if you look at the box score, Shemek Karnowski was averaging between 20 and 25 minutes in those first three games. Wilcher was averaging 30-plus minutes, and then Sabonis was anywhere between 18 and 28, depending on the game. So there was some overlap where those three guys were playing, you know, five-ish minutes a game together. So it would have been really interesting to see what that trio could have done together. And then if you extrapolate that out to the 2017 year, the following season, if DeMontis Sabonis doesn't get you know, 35 minutes a game as a sophomore, is he good enough coming off the bench two straight seasons to bolt off to the NBA? Like, is his game good enough? Does he develop enough? Does he play enough minutes to show that he's worth a top 20 pick in the NBA draft? I don't know. And if he's not, then essentially you replace Shema Karnowski on that 2017 National Championship runner-up team with DeMontis Sabonis as a junior 
And if that happens, you could make an argument that that 2017 team might actually be better um, with a junior year Sabonis instead of a senior year Karnowski. At the very least, they're not any worse. Uh, they might be just a little bit more dynamic. As Sabonis is a better player, obviously, than Shemek Karnowski. But Karnowski had a, you know, a ton of leadership, fifth-year senior. He was a huge rim protector. Um, just his presence inside made that team tick defensively. But Sabonis also very good defender, but he was much better offensively than Shemek was. So that would have been a really interesting dynamic if they had a Sabonis and Jonathan Williams starting with Killian Tilly and Zach Collins coming off the bench that season. I think you probably have a very similar season, uh, but I think they needed somebody else to be a go-to scorer in the national championship game besides Nigel Williams-Goss, and Sabonis could have been that guy. So they could have won a national championship had that been the case. So that's kind of interesting to think about. And then the domino effect from that is, does Zach Collins prove that he's good enough to leave after one season? Because Sabonis probably plays 35 minutes a game. Collins took a lot of Shamit Karnowski minutes because Collins was better offensively than Karnowski was, or at least a little bit more dynamic because he can stretch the court a little bit. If Collins doesn't play that much, maybe Zach Collins is playing on that 2018 team. And if Collins is playing on that 18 team, maybe Killian Tilly doesn't get hurt. Uh, and Collins, you know, has his big breakout season. Gonzaga goes further in that 2018 tournament. So that's interesting to think about. And then if Killian Tilly doesn't get hurt, what's his status in the 2019 season? And then if you want to go even further, if Killian Tilly's still there and Rui Hachimura's still there uh, as a recruit, maybe Gonzaga doesn't go after Brandon Clark. If they still have Zach Collins and Killian Tilly and all these guys still on the roster, maybe Brandon Clark just doesn't fit in to their future plans or Brandon Clark doesn't look at Gonzaga um, as part of his future. So I don't know. I think that's a really interesting thing to think about. But I do think the two seasons that we can absolutely think for sure are that 16 year and that 17 year. Uh, and I think that 16 season, Gonzaga makes the tournament with much more ease. They probably don't lose to Arizona and UCLA at home that year. They get, you know, they're probably going to be an eight or nine seed, but still, they don't have to sweat out the NCAA tournament by winning the WCC. But I think that 17 season would have been the one to watch because I don't know if Sabonis necessarily would have left after his sophomore year if he doesn't get the minutes that he did. And if he doesn't leave and you get a junior year Sabonis instead of a senior year Karnowski, uh, I would tell you right now, that team is probably better with junior year Sabonis and senior year Karnowski, and they may have won the national championship. So that's going to do it for our What If series. I hope you've enjoyed them. It's fun to kind of, you know, find domino effects that affect multiple years and several players. And I think the four that we talked about, uh, we did a really, 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 really good job of that. So I appreciate all of your guys' input and ideas in terms of this series. No show tomorrow. We'll be back on Friday for another Gonzaga Five Star Friday. And we will have an interview. And since I'm here with my family, and my family consists of me as a 2015 Gonzaga graduate, my wife, who's a 2014 Gonzaga graduate, my brother, who's a 2018 Gonzaga graduate, and my parents, who have essentially Gonzaga, adopted Gonzaga as their favorite team, I've decided why not bring them on the show and talk about our Gonzaga memories, our Gonzaga stories, our favorite Gonzaga moments. So that's what we're going to do. And I'm going to pray that this works and it doesn't sound absolutely horrible. We're going to have my family on on Friday's episode. I'm going to guide them through kind of a round table and we're just going to kind of reminisce and you guys can get an understanding of kind of how my family operates. So that'll be a, a kind of an inside look at my life. And I hope it doesn't absolutely stink. We'll find out how it sounds on Friday. So come back for that. 
With the NBA draft coming up, don't forget you can tune in to the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 presented by Locked On and Odyssey. Featuring analysis from the GOAT of NBA Mock Drafts, Chad Ford, and Odyssey NBA experts Brian Scalabrini and former general manager Ryan McDonough. Our Locked On NBA local experts will make selections and trades for your favorite basketball teams throughout the week-long special event. Search the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 on the new Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Odyssey is your audio home for all the sports, podcasts, music, and news that matter to you. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. Don't forget, you can write and subscribe to this podcast. Please leave us a five-star rating. You can follow me on Twitter at Escargo. Follow the podcast on Twitter at LockedOnZags. If you want to email the show with your story or any Gonzaga questions or ideas you want me to talk about, feel free to do so. The email is LockedOnZags at gmail.com. Everybody enjoy your Wednesday and Thursday. We'll see you back here on Friday morning for another Gonzaga 5-Star Friday. It is a great day to be a Zag.